data scientists have the sexiest job in US, in Europe, and probably also in Asia, if not already. Now, how many real data scientists are out there? Definitely there are a lot of statisticians who rebranded themselves as data scientists, and many applied mathematicians suddenly became data scientists, and also a lot of bioinformaticians. So, in this episode I would like to point out the minimum required, or well, expected from a data scientist in terms of knowledge and technical skills. Welcome to Data Science at Home, the podcast about data science for small companies and large enterprises. Data Science at Home is a show where we tell you the skills you need and the tools you can build at home. We are supported by World of Piggy, thinking human world in mathematical terms. Visit worldofpiggy.com or Twitter at World of Piggy. I will go through the most knowledgeable uh, machine learning algorithms that engineers or data scientists uh, should know. This is common knowledge at the moment. Uh, there is plenty of literature out there uh, that gives you, uh, that explains these things in detail from a mathematical perspective and also from a practical perspective because there is a lot of libraries out there uh, ready to be used. Uh, I'm talking about off-the-shelf machine learning algorithms. For instance, think about clustering algorithms, which belong to the family of so-called unsupervised learning. The task of clustering is basically grouping a set of objects such that similar objects belong to the same group and less similar objects belong to different groups. And the literature, as I said, is very rich also in terms of clustering algorithms. There are the so-called centroid-based algorithms. I'm thinking about k-means, for instance. The centroid is one representative uh, object of a set of objects. So is what is the most similar object to a group of other objects? Then there is a connectivity-based algorithms, density-based algorithms, which are very interesting because they can, the, the groups, the clusters can take very diverse shapes. There is probabilistic clustering algorithms, and of course, neural networks and deep learning come with a version of clustering. Indeed, we can think about neural networks as performing classification in a sense, and uh, they can, they're very good at doing this in an unsupervised way. Think about uh, autoencoders that indeed are an unsupervised way to learn a structure from the data. Then we have principal component analysis, which is probably the most used statistical technique in in several domains. It's basically a statistical procedure that um, transforms the data and converts a set of observations of possibly correlated variables into a set of values of so-called linearly uncorrelated variables. These are called principal components, and basically it remaps objects or observations in uh, the component space so that you can detect the components of the principal components of the data set that is where the data differ uh, mostly. There are also very old methods, mathematical methods, for instance singular value decomposition that belongs more to linear algebra rather than pure data science. And of course, in the realm of uh, supervised learning, uh, there is decision trees or knife bias classifiers or all the family of regression methods, 
which are extremely powerful and extremely useful for the majority of the problems out there. Uh, I must say that if you go out even in, in uh, commercial environments, uh, regression solves the majority of the problems. And uh, it is really not a super fancy approach, of course, at least with respect to, I don't know, deep learning or or uh, outlier detection with fancy algorithms or with custom uh, machine learning approaches, but it does the job uh, very well. It's quite robust to outliers. It's uh, it's very uh, easily interpretable and, and people can understand it very, very nicely and very easy to, to deploy. And especially it's very simple from a computational perspective, so it can be used for very large data sets. Then there is um, uh, decision trees, as I mentioned before, which is basically a tree that is built by uh, a statistical approach. And um, uh, at the end, you the the major the main idea of decision trees is to walk them from the from the root to the leaves, and uh, to the leaves you will basically find your answer. So by responding to a set of of questions, for instance, if you have a number of features, uh, let's say. A, B, C, and D, uh, and the tree of depth uh, four, uh, well, by responding, if A is, uh, let's say, less than three, then you go to the right of the tree, or otherwise you go to the left, and then you go to the level one of the tree, and then you respond to another question, that is, if, if feature B is uh, greater than 42, then you go to the left of the tree, otherwise you go to the right. And you keep doing that until you get to the leaf. There is there is no more branches, and that's your answer. So that's your, the class or whatever you found there is the object that basically responds to all the conditions that you um, uh, encountered before. Uh, then there is um, knife bias classifiers. Uh, these are probably a family. I don't know if there is still someone using this stuff, but this is a family of very very simple. Uh, probabilistic classifiers. These are based on um, applying bias theorem a number of times. So basically the bias theorem takes into account posterior probability, likelihood, and prior probability. And uh, therefore it tells you, I will just throw it the formula there, the probability of A given B is equal to the probability of B given A times the prior, that is the probability of A, divided by the probability of B. So this is the bias formula, the bias theorem that you can find anywhere. And it just applies this stuff on real data and you get your answers. And it appears that that knife bias classifiers were very powerful. I mean, uh, they've been used for a lot of things, for instance, to detect spam from emails or to classify uh, articles about uh, different topics uh, or for face recognition software and many, many other domains. I've just walked briefly, uh, very, very briefly, uh, to, to the explanation of the most interesting and most used approaches by data scientists in general. If you want to listen to some episodes that are more dedicated to a specific machine learning method, feel free to leave your request in the comments at wordofpiggy.com or iTunes. Of course, this is quite easy in the sense that it was quite hard to find this information maybe 15 years ago or 20 years ago but today it's uh, it's very easy to find so uh, that's the main reason you know, in my opinion for which there are a lot of data scientists and 
out there probably because they 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 know that their job the positions are very appealing from a paycheck perspective and there is a lot of work to do and they basically rebrand themselves as as data scientists now the problem is that we are running into inflation in a sense and i will explain this i hope i can explain this in in this episode so my point is that this knowledge can be easily automatized and making the the data scientist probably the most vulnerable job and not just the the sexist at all so that's why there are some skills that in my opinion a data scientist should have and must have if he or she doesn't want to become a useless resource in any company that make use of uh, predictive analytics so there are some skills that in my opinion are essential the ones that i mentioned already all the machine learning approaches uh, regardless of how smart or how educated a data scientist is to invent uh, new algorithms from scratch there are very few people who can do that but this is not really required at least not in commercial environments probably in academia it, it's requ- actually in academia it, it's, it's really it's required but what i find uh, essential uh, in the arsenal of data scientists is definitely um, some skills that are uh, not only technical but they are part of the educational background of of a data scientist and with this i'm referring to uh, knowledge of algorithm complexity for instance Uh, because as data increases in size a for instance quadratic algorithm will be slow and sometimes will even be not feasible uh, to to apply so linear or log linear algorithms should be considered or can be considered only i mean there are no options there and this usually makes things quite simple so we are sometimes quite disappointed because we were going for super fancy algorithms but they just cannot be applied so we have to rethink our solution in in light of simplicity that is going back to a linear or log linear algorithm because the data we are working on is probably a gigabyte or terabyte of information but at least in that case the problem can be approached and and solved somehow even though maybe it's not the the best solution ever but at least we can manage the computational complexity so concepts of algorithm complexity are essential in the arsenal of the data scientist and with this i'm referring to for instance the p complexity class of decision problems that can be solved in uh, on deterministic turing machines in polynomial time non-polynomial time uh, np problems uh, solutions in quadratic time exponential time so understanding all this complexity is important another important asset for the data scientist is coding and of course coding in at least languages like python r but also shell scripting for unix that's that's very important i find that nothing can be done in complete independence uh, without at least these three languages because forget about working on a windows machine excel data sheets will will disappear completely in a couple of, of years if if in, in some environments they don't exist anymore but so shell scripting for unix how to transform data fast from the shell is something that is really required for for data transformation data preparation but also of course python and r are essential languages that you know i don't even want to enter the details of this this is what a data scientist should have on the resume what i'm referring to is coding skills and uh, 
This is kind of a highly discussed subject. Many uh, say that data scientists should not be great developers, or at least they are not asked to be great developers. Some others say that they should, and I'm going to explain what I think, and more importantly, why do I think that uh, data scientists should indeed be quite advanced programmers and software engineers. Well, I have two major reasons uh, for this. First of all, analytics applied to small data sets is called statistics. So cohorts of some hundreds observation and or survival analysis approaches are part of the past or are left to epidemiologists or all these people who are not dealing with uh, data that do not fit memory. So I'm talking about data of some megabyte of information or definitely less than the giga limit. The thing is that real time or streaming and big data analytics all require more than pure statistics. And, and that's where things get really big. They get so big that optimization and elegance in coding really make the difference. So I think that coding is a great asset for the data scientist of the future because in the future we will have bigger and bigger data sets. The second reason is that data science is facing one major problem that is inflation, as it was for academia. Now, everybody has a PhD today when a master was more than enough less than 10 years ago. So data scientists will be expected to know more and more as things get automatized. So if you were great, for instance, at uh, solving a problem with random forest, now that random forest is automatically applied, literally with one line of code or even with one click, a data scientist should also provide data collection skills and probably data cleaning skills. And when all these tasks will also be automatically applied to real data set, they will be asked also for having infrastructure allocation skills. And of course, who offers more wins the battle. Now, in a previous episode about fraud detection, um, we mentioned that the future of data science will not just be played around deep learning or any other fancy technology that we are uh, dealing with today, but around data collection. So knowing what to collect is extremely important and most of the self-claimed data scientists usually decide to collect as much as they can because you know what we can deal with big data we have huge infrastructure we are on amazon we have parallel computing in our pocket well no collecting the right data not only prevents from allocating resources that might be useless in the very near future and will cost you a lot of money but also helps a simple algorithm to perform way better than the fancy stuff that few people know about. So it's not big data that makes the difference, it's the way you approach big data. It's not the amount of data that gives you more information, but it's quality of data. You can have much, much smaller data set of higher quality data set that can solve the problem even with a logistic regression. The skill that is demanded here is how can I collect the right data set? Now, I like to launch a provocation here. And with this, I want to say that data scientists might have the sexiest job today, but that will not last forever. Soon, data scientists will be completely automatized. Would you like a tip now? Listen to this episode again and focus on the human aspect of data science. 
This will help you keeping your job for a while, at least until you decide to retire. Data Science at Home is the show where we tell you the skills you need and the tools you can build at home. We are supported by World of Piggy, thinking human world in mathematical terms. Visit worldofpiggy.com or Twitter at worldofpiggy. Hey, if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes and help this podcast reach more ears. So tell your friends and colleagues that we exist. We will really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.